I have a new toy. Ooh, what's that? This past Friday, as we record this, I attempted to do a live video podcast okay. on one of my other shows. Keyword attempted? Yes. It didn't exactly go well. In fact, it went quite terribly. From my standpoint, like the show itself was fine, but the live stream itself was quite terrible because... The technical aspects. Yes. I didn't have enough hardware running on it to accomplish the task well. One of my listeners and watchers of it, I guess, does live streaming for big events as a living. That's what he does. And very long story short, uh, he said that he had received a lot of uh, information and helpful tidbits from me over my career of writing and podcasting. So he sent me a new toy to help me with this live streaming process. I don't have it running today, but I have a new Zoom H4n Pro. Oh, cool. I think you know about these. Yeah, yeah. I have the exact same thing. I, I don't know if I have the Pro or not. I don't, I don't know if there is a distinction between the two, but I have a Zoom H4n and I like it quite a bit. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what the Pro side of it is. I know there's a difference between them, but I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm fairly new to these things because I've always just recorded on my Mac. Anyway, this listener sent this to me saying, this won't solve all of the problems, but this will solve <laughs> one of them. Okay, good. So you have some work ahead of you. Yes. You are firmly in theory right now, and now soon you have to put that into action. Yep. Part of me is just interested in the process for it. Mm -hmm. I, I've been trying to find ways to do that because it seems like video is... It's getting to be a bigger and bigger thing, if you will. And you do some AV work for your church, right? I do quite a bit, actually. Do they ever record their services? We do a, a live stream, if you will, mm -hmm. with the, the service itself in a different area of the building. We don't push it online, but we, we send a video signal to a different room in the building because we just can't fit everybody in our main center. Is it for like a overflow or for parents or? Yeah, it's, it's overflow and parents all at once, mm. which is kind of cool. But we're sending two video feeds to a different room. One is the video production side of it. The other is like music slides and sermon slides. Yeah, yeah. We send that, those two down separately. And it, it's kind of a cool process, but we end up recording that as well. So I do all the editing on that in post so that we can then post the sermon online in both audio and video format. So our church runs a podcast. It runs a Vimeo account where we, we run the sermons and stuff. So I do quite a bit of that. It's just kind of fun to take some of those skills and then translate them into my personal business as well. Yeah, interesting. Can I tell you about a big new, it's not a toy, a big new a skill. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's a thing that has, is new in my life and I knew that I needed to talk to you about it, Joe. So I'm, I'm bringing it up right now because I can't, I can't contain myself. You're excited. I have a new paper note-taking system that I am so, so pleased with. And I think I I think I shared it with you a little bit. The note card thing? Yeah, the note card thing. Ah, uh, yes, I remember. I sent you not a picture of my note-taking system. I sent you a picture of me inside of a CVS picking up some index cards for the first time. Yes. At the end of the last podcast that we did, when I was talking about my desire to change the way that I was taking notes in a way that made it so that I wasn't so fixated on, like, perfect input, which has been a problem for me. Like, right. I must write this quote down perfectly, and I can't mess it up whatsoever. So I have to, like, go click back on this podcast 10 times to perfectly complete it, like that kind of stuff, which is just unnecessary because it ends up spending so much time. I was kind of inspired by a comment that you shared with me at the end of the podcast where you were talking about Erasmus's method of uh, taking notes per chapter, oh, right. which was a neat idea to me. And then because of our conversations about paper, and then because of a link that Chris Bowler kindly gave to me, I started thinking about a, a way of creating a commonplace book, which is, uh, I don't know, a term that seems to be fairly widely used in regards to notes from various books and different sources like that. And making a commonplace book for myself using the constraint of index cards for books or chapters or what have you. And it has just been excellent, man. It really was this weird revelatory thing where it fit, it ticked all the boxes that I've been trying to tick for a long time and, and coming up short with. So it's it's been incredible. I really, really enjoy it. And I highly recommend a commonplace book system for anyone who's never researched it. I keep a commonplace book. I don't know if I've mentioned that on this show or not. No, you haven't. So do you, I take it you use a book, and I might know the type of notebook that you use. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. You probably already have the link in the show notes for this one. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. No, I use I use one of the look-term books for it. Mm -hmm. I It's kind of bad. I have a stack of four of them. 
sitting next to me currently on my desk. Uh, one is the task management system, one's a journal, one's my previous task management system that needs to be thrown away at some point, and then the, the fourth one there is a commonplace book. So yes, I'm very familiar with this in Run One. I, I'm curious, how do you, like, what do you do with these note cards? Like, whenever you're reading a book or something, you run across a quote, you write it down, then what? You're all about this searchability thing. But see, so this is actually the funny thing, is that to me, I actually find index cards totally comparable to a searchable Ulysses folder or something like that. And the reason that I say that is because even though I can't push control F and search a certain word, I can so much more easily manipulate that physical space and browse through it that it's just as searchable to me. Obviously, if I have like thousands, that becomes a little bit different, but I'm not there yet, nor do I expect to be there for a very long time. Right, right. I mean, you know, maybe sooner or later, it'll start decreasing searchability, but then at that point, it'll start increasing in awesomeness to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. It's just super cool to have a giant stack of note cards. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's the thing is, um, to me, there's something really special about the constraint of an index card, where I think that a few times before I've tried to take notes on a book or something like that, that maybe only has a couple of key insights I really like. And then I have this kind of dumb looking note that has like two lines of text and it isn't very interesting. And then I kind of forget that it exists entirely. Or I have a book that I'm so interested in that I want to copy everything down. And then that becomes unsearchable and unusable because it's just so uncontrollable, so large. Right. And an index card just reminds me, look, this is the amount of information that we have. And it's not that long. Uh, the way that I'm using it is the front of the index card. The ruled part is where I'm writing down little snippets of information that I'm learning from the book. And I typically go back the next day or the day after or at that time. And I, on the back of the page, the, the blank part, I write my own personal thoughts on it. So it's kind of this interesting little system of I have this much space for their thoughts and this much space for my thoughts. And man, it's just, it's awesome. It's, it's really, it's really unique and nice. And I've been writing down book notes and stuff in Apple notes for a long time, but I just never end up going back to look at them. It's really unique. And I, I like it a lot. I'm kind of curious to know what your system looks like using an actual book, because to me, that seems hard in the sense that it would be a little bit less searchable. And it also would be a little hard to figure out how to divide the book up. Is there a certain way that you do that? Or do you just write notes for each thing until you're done and then move on to the next subject? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's just a running. There's not a division of the book at all. Right. Uh, so what I do, so I just pulled it out just so I could look at it. Whenever I write a thing in the book itself, so say I've got a, a book quote and you know, I've got a number of them here from the books that I've read. Because whenever I'm reading a book, it's not uncommon for me to underline something. And then at the back, I keep a book index, like a personal book index. I think this is an idea I stole from, I think it's Maria Popova. Mm -hmm. And then I think Tim Ferriss does it. And I know Sean Bullock yeah. does it a little bit. <laughs> right. So it's kind of made the rounds, if you will. But I, I stole it from everyone, whoever came up with it. I'll give you credit, whoever you are. So I follow that process of you know, underlining it, writing commonplace in the back, and then putting the page number next to it. And then when I'm done with a book, I run through all of those underlines grab the commonplace underlines, and then I copy those quotes into this notebook. And I, I write the date down, the name of the book and the author, and then the page number within that book. And then underneath of that, I write the quote down. And then it just goes down the page. Like I don't, sometimes I write my own thoughts underneath of that if I want. But at the same time, I'm just running through the book, which sounds a bit chaotic because it's really hard to find that. However, because I'm using a like term, at the beginning of the book, there's this series of, like the, it has a index mm -hmm. table of contents yeah there you go so you kind of create your own table of contents but it just i just use the letters of the alphabet and i allow myself three lines per letter in this index and i try to grab three keywords to a quote that makes sense you know like this one's about building character or creating videos online or you know helping out your kids as a parent so you know in each of those i would grab like a c or a p and then write the page number down on it because the the best chance i have of finding the thing is just thinking through you know i want to go find the quotes i have about parenting well, I go look at the P, find those page numbers, and then I can skim through those. No, it, it's kind of like what you're saying with 
your index cards are trying to find a thing. You can't hit control F. You can't go find something in that way. But skimming through those is so fast that it's basically the same speed right. as it would be if you were on the computer. And that's kind of what I've done with that. But it's that index that lets me search through things and find them quickly. But yeah, again, I'm just trying to find you know three keywords to help me do that. But that allows me to do the running notebook from front to back. And then I'll eventually, you know, at some point, I'll, I'm sure I'll fill this. And that'll get to be a bit overwhelming when I get to that point. I'll have to get another one, but I'll just keep multiple around. But I don't see myself filling this for at least another seven to 10 years. Like it's going to take a while. It takes a while. Exactly. That's, that's kind of how I feel as well is it's, it's fine. I'm not too concerned about that end goal because right. I hope that it happens. That sounds awesome. If I have so many notes that I like can't contain them all, that sounds like I'm doing a really good job at it. That's not worrying to me. That sounds really cool. But until then I have, I have quite a few notes to take in between. How are you storing your note cards? So you said you can skim through them very quickly, but you would need some place like a book or a clip or a box, like you gotta have some place to store these things. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't figured that out right now. As of right now, they're just sitting semi neatly on my desk. Okay. And uh, I have a much larger empty stack than I have a filled stack at this point. But I am not super interested in the whole like keeping them in my back pocket and always pulling them out when I'm doing something kind of vibe. Right. For me, I just have never been the kind of person who, in an instant, like wants to write physically. I really find that's when technology and my iPhone shine. So as of right now, it's another incredible use for drafts for me is if I'm somewhere without my note cards and I wasn't really expecting to get something interesting out of whatever I'm doing, or I just happened to pick up a book that I wasn't anticipating picking up, I'll just put a, I'll start a little index card of sorts in drafts and then I'll transfer it over whenever I get home, which has been great. It's been totally fine for me. And that little red badge helps remind me to do the transferring. <laughs> the magic key to the whole the thing. The magic key to the whole thing. I'm telling you, man, for so many years, any, any listener knows for so many years. So... So yeah, it's been cool. It's, it's one of these weird things where not only does it scratch the itch of helping me figure out how I finally wanted to do notes, but it also helps me kind of get through something that I've always been semi-annoyed at, which is, I don't know if you're like this or not, but I'm the kind of person that if I do spend the time to read a book or watch a movie or any of these things that like, you know, they're, they're a big commitment of I'm actually going to sit down and like enter this other person's world. I really want to get something out of it at the end of it. Maybe that's kind of selfish, but it's like, I, I hope that I don't read this or watch this and come away without having learned anything or like haven't found any insight. And I'm a big believer that everything has insight. That's why I started a blog called Extra Textuals is I think that no matter what, no matter what you're watching, there's some deeper hidden meaning, whether the author intended it or not, you can, you can get it out of that. And the index card has really helped me because it's kind of like, well, I think I can get one index card out of anything. So I watched Forrest Gump yesterday, which I hadn't watched for many, many years. My wife had never watched it before. There's a classic. It was. It was great. Still good. Recommended. And, <laughs> and at the end of it, I pulled out an index card and I wrote one down about some scenes that I found to be pretty powerful. And so it's cool. It's a helpful way of allowing me to translate my thoughts on any art or artwork or book or whatever I come across into something that I can remember the meaning from. And that's, uh, that's super useful for me. I really appreciate having a system, finally, that allows me to do that well. <laughs> so here, here's a question for you then. Do you specifically, whenever you finish a movie or you listen to a podcast or whatever it is, do you specifically try to set aside time after that to get your quote-unquote card of insight off of it? Or is this a thing that you just pull out a card whenever it hits you? Yeah, it's whatever it hits me. I'm not like, okay, the movie, the credits are over. I have to push pause and go do that right now. It's, it's. I mean, I, I hope that I can retain a thought for a little bit longer than that. <laughs> I was kind of pondering a scene from Forrest Gump for a couple hours after I watched it. And then I remembered to go and find the next card and write it down. 
you know, I, as someone who is high input, it is not hard for me to chew on input. So that, that's not my problem. My problem was always figuring out what to do with it. And now I feel like I have something to do with it. I feel like many people, which one person did tweet at me about this, would find an issue with the way that I'm doing it because I'm not always fully writing out quotes because, like I said, that's intentional for me. I'm trying to be a bit more messy. And I'm also totally excluding page numbers for those quotes, which I think somebody was like, that's madness <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if you do that or not. Do you, do you write down little page numbers for where quotes came from? Yeah, I like whenever I'm writing it in the commonplace, I'm always writing down name of the book, the author, page number, and the date. Yeah. Like I always write all those down. It's one of those things that I, I personally don't, I don't like looking at a quote and then wondering where did this come from and, and being able to go back to it because I found that there's a couple cases where I have looked up a quote that I, I knew was in my commonplace. I pulled it up and then I wondered what the context of that quote was and I, I wanted to go back and read the, the couple pages before and after that quote just to make sure I fully understood it. And having the book and page numbers let me go to my library, grab the book and, and hunt it down. That way I could go go through it again, which is also super helpful because I'm underlining it. It makes it very quick to find it in the book as well because it's kind of linked in a couple different ways because of that. I feel like page numbers are less important than ever just because of the prevalence of eBooks. And my thought is if I ever need to find it, I could probably just go buy the book on Kindle real quick and search a keyword or two and find it pretty quickly. Yeah, you'd have to find like a word like index or location of sorts in order for that to work. I mean, this is the thing is for me, I'm actually much happier to do less because my tendency is always to do too much. Yep. You know, maybe at some point when I get a little frustrated and think, oh man, that really would have been helpful, then I'll, I'll incorporate some new information in it. But right now, the goal of it is to actually keep it as simple as possible, which is which has been excellent. All right, so we'll, we'll start the clock now because I got a feeling you're going to come around on this one. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm also uh, keeping a, on the back on that, that blank side a little list of the two things that I'm trying to do consistently are write down two small categories, one being this reminds me of, and then I'll write down sources that this thing that I had just been reading or looking at remind me of. I read um, Discipline Equals Freedom, this weird, interesting book by a guy, I think you say his name, Jocko Willink. He used to be a Navy SEAL, and he wrote a whole book that he calls a field manual on the art of discipline and why discipline is so important. And as I was reading it, a lot of the stuff that he was talking about as a soldier reminded me of some information from a book called Tribe, which is one of my favorite books I've ever read. I don't know if you ever come across that book, but I absolutely- I've heard of it, not read it yet. Yeah, I absolutely love it by a guy named Sebastian Younger. He was the writer of A Perfect Storm, and he wrote a whole book about the way that people band together in times of extreme hardship. And a lot of those ideas clearly overlapped with discipline equals freedom. And so I just wrote down on the back of the card that there were some connections there if, in case I ever want to dive deeper back into that and link those ideas together. And then underneath the reminds me of, I keep a, I want to know more about section where if they've brought up any sources of their own that I found really interesting or just don't know anything about and want to know more about, then I just write those names down. So again, if I'm trying to learn more about the subject or, or trying to kind of plumb that, then I can go and, and look up those additional people. And that's, that's been awesome. It's been really good to have those two things because in any form of note-taking that I've ever had, I've never really like codified that and figured out a way to do that well. And this is by far the best. So it's been, it's been awesome. Yeah, I think the, the whole metadata conversation can be, you can overdo it. Right. You really can. Like, and I do. <laughs> I've seen some folks that whenever they keep a commonplace, when they're doing like quotes on a book, they'll, they'll go kind of extreme with it. Like they even have a, a numbering system to know like they don't underline it in the book itself, but they'll they'll put the page number down. They'll put what uh, paragraph it is and what sentence it is. And they have this naming system to figure out where that's at. And then when they write the quote itself, they'll summarize the context before mm -hmm. the quote, write the quote down and then summarize in their own words the, the context of what happens after that quote. And they do all of that. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is a lot of work. Just get a quote down. Like this is, <laughs> right. it's just too much for me. And like, I like having the date down because it helps me put it in a context of what was going on in my life at the time, because then I can give it a little bit of a, like mentally, I know what was going on in my life at that time that maybe caused me to write that down. Like I like being able to have some of that reference point. This is why I, one of the first things I always do is pay attention to when a book was written. It, it's helpful to know, you know, if it was written in 2016, well, it's an election year. It was a very polarizing year for a lot of people. So it's helpful to have that context. But if it was written in 
1960, well, that's a, that's a different game. Like, it's a different context that you have to place that book in. So I, I like having the date side of it. The page number is purely for my own reference. Knowing what book it is, that's helpful as well to me, just so I can go back to it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so easy to start. I want all this metadata about it so that I have to do less searching later on. Well, the, the searching process itself can sometimes yield ideas too. I'm sure you've seen this. Like, you're writing a thing down, you're going to go back and reference it. In the process of referencing it, sometimes you'll come up with more that you want to write down, which is kind of this weird meta <laughs> process, but right. it's still helpful to do that search, though. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that for everyone, there, there's a different amount of work in a different system that kind of works for them. And I totally understand that there's some people that, that kind of need that metadata a little bit more, maybe for their sanity. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know that if I look at this quote and this quote doesn't have these things, then it'll bug me until it does. Yeah, I, I think that for me, part of it is just trying to break away from that and feel a little more messy and a little more creative. Because I, th- I think that's the thing is for me, I want this to be more of a creative act than a archival act. There's a part of me that, that does all of this stuff. And you asked that question quite a few times early on when we were discussing input, which is, what are you doing with all of this information? You know, like, yes. what, is, what is your <laughs> what is the purpose for this? I know that you want to save every link on the internet. I know you want to do all of that, but, but why? And the, the base answer is not just for no reason. The base answer is to, to create with it or to feel like the act itself of writing this down is a creative act. And in a way, this index card thing has opened me up to that, where there's something about the constraint of it. There's something about the creation of it. There's something about the addition of it that feels really creative and really like energizes that, that part inside of me that wants to create. So it's, it's really cool. I like it a lot. One thing, most of the physical books that I'm getting right now are from the library, which means that as soon as I'm done with it, it goes back to the library. And I, I wish that that wasn't true. I wish that I had the ability to buy and keep dozens and dozens of physical books somewhere in my house and actually write in them and highlight in them and that kind of stuff. But as of right now, I think the library would frown upon that. They would not be happy with you. I can't exactly do that. But do you, when you have a physical book that's yours, do you end up doing that or do you keep it pretty pristine? So every book I read, I buy. I figure I want to support that author in some way. That's, that's one side of it. The other is I do mark it up. I, I rarely write in it, like write my own thoughts in it, because if I'm going to write my own thoughts, I want it elsewhere. I don't want it in the book itself because, go back to that creative side of it, I don't want to influence my own thoughts on it later. Mm. If I go back and reread that book, what that author has written may strike me differently because I'm coming at it from a different stage in life, most likely. I don't want to skew that. So I, I, want, to, I want to keep it pure in that sense and let my brain jump and make different conclusions if I go through that book again. But I will, like I mentioned earlier, I'll underline things in it and create my own index in the back. And I've had a couple of cases where I reread a book that I've done that in and I'll add to that index as well when I'm going through it a second time because, you know, you go through it a different time. Life has changed at that point. So you end up writing things down or collecting things because they strike you differently. And I like letting that happen. So I don't, I don't end up putting my own thoughts in the book itself. I'll put those in, say, my commonplace or some random notes that I'm taking about a book. You know, I'll, I'll do that elsewhere versus in the, in the book itself. There, there's something interesting alternatively, though, conversely, about seeing an old perspective and realizing how far you've come from it um, that I think could be cool if you're writing in the book. I was listening to a fun podcast that hurry slowly with Jocelyn. Yes. <laughs> there was a good episode of the show with Austin Kleon, the guy who wrote Steal Like an Artist. I really like him quite a bit. Yes. He was talking about writing in books and kind of making them your own in a way. And he said, there's just something powerful about being able to write in the marginalia of a book because it lets you understand that that's one person's perspective and you have your own perspective too. And so you can write things like, that's a really dumb idea or what a cool thing, you know, like I've never thought about this perspective before. I've never thought, I've never had this insight before. It's almost as if he was saying writing in the marginalia gives you ownership over the book that you might not have otherwise if you weren't actively kind of creating a conversation through it, which I I thought was a really neat idea. But again, as all my books are from the library, I cannot participate in that right now. Makes sense. I I end up, like my notes that I do want to write down about it, lately I've been putting them in bare 
but that's that's where I've been writing a lot of that stuff down. It doesn't end up in my commonplace just because it would be too much. Like I have enough notes that I want to take about it that I don't want it in that. But at the same time, there are some very high level quotes that I'll want to save. And that's when those go in the commonplace. But my general notes, like this specific section struck me this way, those I'll put in a text file of sorts somewhere. And if I'm going to reread a book, honestly, the first thing I do is pull up my old notes for it. And I read through my old notes before I read the book a second time. And then I'll process it. However, my brain decides to process it the second time around. So I feel like I get some of that, but at the same time, I get what you're saying. Like being able to reflect on those as you go through it. I could see some of that. At the same time, I still like my <laughs> come up with new perspectives on it as I go through it part of it. But I, I can see kind of both sides of that. Yeah, I totally get that. So I wanted to ask you something about the opposite of paper, because I, I don't think I have to ask you how paper's going for you. I asked you that once and the answer was good. And I think the answer is it's a happy day. still good. Yep, exactly. But I did notice that, that you were using OmniPlan. Is that a new thing that you're doing? So OmniPlan... I think is why I picked up paper Okay. between paper and my whiteboard. Now, we haven't talked about my whiteboard much at all. We've talked about it. We've talked about the, the makeup of it. We know what it's made of. <laughs> we know where it <laughs> the is. The philosophy and ideas behind how I use my whiteboard, we should get into at some point. But okay. OmniPlan, I started playing with it when I was still 100% on board with OmniFocus and going the digital task management system. Right. Now, and, and remind me, OmniPlan is the one... It's similar to Microsoft Project. Well, that does not me whatsoever. You know that. So it's project planning software is what it is. So from a, a technical term, it's project planning software is what it is. And Okay, so it's the, yeah, I, I'm looking at a picture of it now and I'll, I'll put one in the show notes if anyone's not familiar with it. Once you see a picture of it, you you understand what yeah, it is. Yeah, it'll click immediately <laughs> once you see what's going on. So very high overview project planning software. It lets you take a project, detail out all the, the smaller aspects of it, and then allocate those towards people or tools or whatever, and then put together the timeline on which those are going to be completed so that you can plan out when that project could be finished, what milestones you need to hit in order to actually finish it on time, et cetera, et cetera. That's the the general idea. Like, for example, I do some IT work for a commercial contractor in our little tiny town, and they leverage something similar to this. They have kind of their own version of it, but I've seen some of their printouts of building, you know, say a, a massive gymnasium or a new gym that's going up, like trying to do some of that, or even some small skyscrapers they've done. Like trying to do that, the project planning that goes behind it is rather intense. And seeing some of their layouts make some of mine look kind of puny and worthless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. But that's that's what it is. And the reason I was playing around with using one of these was that I had a number of my client projects that were overlapping and I was having a hard time knowing when I was going to be open so that I could take another client, like so that I could work on a new project. So I was having a hard time nailing that down and knowing when I was open and when I wasn't and trying to figure out what is the process of me taking a client project from initial conversation to done? And what are all the steps from start to finish on that? That's why I started with it. Uh, I, I found out that in order to use OmniPlan well, you need to create a new document for every project that you, you have running. Mm. But in order to know when you're open and when you can take another one, you need to link those projects together to create what they call a dashboard and see across those projects, when are your resources, in this case me, when are those open so that they can take on something new? That whole process just was messy. And I was trying to figure out how to make it all work cleanly. And it, it required so much overhead to make it all work that I finally just said, nope, not doing this. <laughs> and, and decided instead to do something higher level. And that's where some of the whiteboard stuff came from. So no, I'm not using OmniPlan. But that process led me to thinking it through and using analog tools instead. I'm looking at these screenshots of OmniPlan. And these screenshots of OmniPlan are making me feel very sleepy because they're <laughs> very, very technical. Yep. It, it feels very complex. It does not seem like an easy piece of software to use or to kind of uh, use in an ebb and flow kind of way. It seems like if you think OmniFocus requires all your life, you should check out OmniPlan because OmniPlan yes. really, 
requires not the not only your entire life, but your entire corporate structure's life or something like that. I mean, I understand that this is not something that is easy to just put a piece of data in. Probably need to put it all in there, huh? Yes, it's it's going to require a lot. I, I, my conclusion on it was that this is a tool that works well for small businesses who have a lot of similar projects going on right. or one major project that they're going to focus on and then move on to the next. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I concluded with it. It doesn't really work well when it's personal, like when it's for your own purposes, especially when you start to take some of the the mentalities that I do with what is a project. Because if I was to try to use OmniPlan the way that I wanted, I would have to take every project I had in OmniFocus and make it a project in OmniPlan and somehow make the two of them work together. Right. It's just not going to work that way. That sounds very challenging. And a lot of overhead. Like that was the thing that I really kept coming back to is like, this can work. It, it would tell me a lot of information and it would help me make some decisions. But the amount of time that I have to invest in this in order to get those answers is not worth the input of putting all of this into this tool. And, and, and that's what eventually led me to, okay, well, if I want the answers to these questions, when am I open? And when is this project going to be done? And what, it, what are all the steps to getting it done? Like those, those questions I can answer very quickly and very easily with a paper system or a whiteboard that lays out the four weeks I have coming up in the projects and putting them where they belong. Like that, that whole process, I can quickly get those answers in that way. But trying to use a, a digital tool to do it Getting those same answers requires at least 10, if not 20 times as much time investment to get the answers to those simple, seemingly simple questions. So is that, was that one of your last bastions of digital tool use? Is there any other place where you're using a digital tool primarily for work purposes over an analog one? Uh, I think when it comes to clients, like they sometimes want me to, to input things or keep track of things digitally. So like I've got access to a number of Todoist systems, Trello systems, uh, Wonderlist. Like I've got a number of these Asana, like I've got a number of accounts that tell me the tasks that I have for certain clients. Right. So I, I still have a lot of that, but when it comes to managing like what I'm going to do on what day, I still pull from those systems and make it on and, and build it out on paper. Right. Trying OmniPlan, I think was my, that was kind of my, my last ditch effort to, though I couldn't have told you this at the time, it was kind of my last ditch effort to try to get a hundred percent digital task system and project system to work, but it, it it was just too much. I mean, I, I've said this numerous times already. Like, it was just too much investment to do that because the the creativity side of it. You know, we've talked about this a number of times. Being able to pick and choose what I'm writing down and, and pull up different aspects of this whenever I want and and however I want. Trying to get a digital system to follow suit is so painful. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't. It, it locks me into too much structure, and I can't handle that in some cases. And when it comes to managing. My overall business, I've just learned that the whiteboard and the notebook give me the freedom to write things down and organize them in ways that help me get the answers I need faster than any digital tool I've tried. That makes sense. I want to know more about your whiteboard. Will you tell me about it? Sure. So a lot of people, I've I've posted pictures of this before on the Productivity Guild, but a lot of people, whenever I explain this or I show them pictures, they immediately say, why don't you have this in Trello? (laughs) Okay. So there are five aspects to this, this whiteboard. So consider it five categories. One is... Uh, maybe projects. One is in the queue. Uh, the the center section, which is the the biggest part of it, is the next four weeks. So I just have the week number in each of the four sections. On the right, I have a waiting category, and then the bottom right, I have a pending payment section. So what happens is the way this all works. Whenever I have a new potential client email me or call me or something, whenever I first am made aware of them, I will take a post-it note, write the name of their company, what the project is, put it in the someday maybe category, if you will, and I put it in there. When I have it confirmed, yes, we want to move forward with it, I move it up to the queue. And I don't actually put it on my calendar until I have the first half payment of a project. Freelancers never commit to something until you've got the first payment in place. Just saying. That's a great point. Yes. I don't actually commit it to my schedule until I've got that initial payment. 
So once that initial payment comes in, I put it on my calendar and I allocate it because I rarely have myself booked more than four weeks out anymore. That's roughly the time frame that I'm working on. So whenever I get that first payment, I will move that post-it from the queue to wherever I feel like it's going to fit on my schedule. Once I have the initial work done on it, I move it over to the waiting category and it will sometimes bounce back and forth between the weeks on the whiteboard in the, the waiting category. It'll sometimes go back and forth between those depending on what's going on. But once it's completed and I've just submitted the final invoice, it moves over to the pending payment category. And then once they've paid their invoice, I pull the post-it note, throw it in the trash, and I move on. That's how it all flows. And it, because it's different categories and you're physically moving post-its around, it feels a lot like Trello as a result. But I like the physical nature of this project just got paid. I go up, grab the post-it, tear it up, throw it in the trash. Right. Like that project is done. There's something very, because of the tactile nature of it, I get to physically move my projects around and put them where they belong. And there's something very satisfying about that. Yeah, it just feels much better than dragging a little digital post-it into the archived folder or whatever it is on Trello. Yeah, I totally get that. Yes. I used to do something like that when I worked with a team. We basically painted an entire wall with chalkboard paint. Oh, yeah. I've debated doing this. Yeah, we kind of kept a list of all the different things that were either potential projects or upcoming projects or projects that had a deadline that we were we were currently working on. And then often we would use some form of like a like a sticky note if it, things were moving quickly back and forth and if they weren't then we would just use chalk to keep it up there but yeah i mean it's it's really it's just good right it's just good to be able to have that vision of everything that you're working on at once which only really the physical stuff provides until i can buy a computer screen the size of my big old window you know until i can buy a computer screen that's like the size of a wall and yes i do know projectors exist but i don't i don't want to have one that's on 24 7 you know that's immediately what i was thinking uh, yes yes i understand that that's a possibility but that's actually kind of a yeah, anyways, we're not gonna we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, until until that, you know, I mean, it's just a physical board that allows you to see everything at once is, is so much better to me. So, is that what the whiteboard is exclusively for? Do you do you always really use it for those things? Is that kind of a permanent fixture? It is, and it, it makes me a little bit sad to dedicate it to that because I've used the whiteboard for a lot of creative exercises where I'm just trying to figure out how to solve a problem in code of sorts, and I'll use it to brainstorm how to get past that. I can't do that anymore, right? Because I have it dedicated to this. So I have considered putting in another one. Ooh. There's another wall in my office that I could potentially put a smaller whiteboard on and use for that. So I've considered that. Just haven't done it. It takes time. I have to go to the hardware store, blah, blah, Gotta blah. Gotta go to Home Depot. I know. I'm a fan of Home Depot. You use your windows as a whiteboard, right? Yep. That's what I do. And I still really love that a lot. I have, let's see, looking behind me right now from my desk, I have one, two, three, three huge windows that I can just write on and do often. So I bought some markers and then on your recommendation, I bought some day glow looking markers that are really bright and vivid and kind of meant for windows. Yep. And uh, yeah, I just, I use those whenever I'm trying to do some brainstorming or some mind mapping and it's, it's been excellent. Christine really appreciated it. A few weeks ago, we came home from like a, a trip and we had a bunch of stuff that we just needed to do. And I just basically walked in, put my stuff down, grabbed the marker and just wrote it all down as large as I could on the window. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So we just couldn't look away from it. We couldn't like forget that it existed. Right. And it was actually really helpful because over the next 24 hours or however long it took us to accomplish them all, whenever we'd have a minute of downtime, we'd say, oh, yep, we have to go do that now. We have to get that done. We have to prepare that. And I just check them off as we went. So it's it's quite nice. Like I think I might have mentioned it. The only problem is the retention of that. If I'm writing something down that I want to take a picture of, uh, kind of hard to get a clear view <laughs> of those words with the, the trees in the background and the clouds and all that stuff. So I have to find the proper angle to take the photo. But um, I mean, small price to pay. Yep. You need to get what they make, like external shades that scroll up and down mm -hmm. like you'd have to put those on the outside yeah, well, I, and then use a remote to have it come down that way you can get a white background behind it this is the second story of my house so i don't know if i want to scale the the, the roof of my house or something <laughs> to try to install, <laughs> install, install blinds on that'd be fun i think that i could maybe just crouch down and take a photo that's clear <laughs> that, that, that's worked for me every time so far but 
I, I do appreciate the the technical nature of that that solution. I'm always, I'm always going to throw some form of electronic on yeah. all of this. I use paper for everything, but when it comes to problems like this, it's uh, the answer is always Wi-Fi and electronics. 